950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Everyone knows who John Fugelsang is. Everyone loves John Fugelsang, and everyone is going to be very happy to see John Fugelsang. The Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal Tour Comedy Show is back for another show on Saturday night, the 21st, at the Sabin Theater in Los Angeles. And John will be there along with Hal Sparks and Frangela and other special guests. That's a pay-per-view event. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. And, of course, you can listen to John over on Tell Me Everything on Sirius XM, as well as his new podcast, The Sanity Cast, with John Fugelsang. He's kind enough today to join us to talk about a various things. Hi, John. How are you? Matt, it's such a pleasure to be back on your show and drag it back down to my level again. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, I, I've you don't know the impact you've had on the progressive community because, like myself, I said I remember when I first time I heard you and I said, "Oh my God, this guy's saving Christianity for me because you fight back against these right wing tropes." on Christianity and and you, you make an insane amount of fantastic points. And I've actually talked to a lot of other people too, that they were almost ready to give up on religion. And then all of a sudden they heard you and fighting back against this narrative. And, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, you are a, you know, rarefied air for your ability to do what you have done. Oh Lord. Well, I'm glad that my dysfunction can pay off for someone else. You know, I, I don't, I don't claim to be a good Christian whatsoever. Uh, that's my secret. I don't claim to be a good Christian. I just know the Bible extremely well, and I've known a lot of really good Christians. And so I don't cotton much to these modern-day fleece-flocking Pharisees and uh, thugs and fascists who use Jesus as camouflage and wave him around like a prop while legislating against and voting against his actual teachings. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't need religion to be a good Christian either. I mean, it's all between you and uh, the commander in chief, whatever you believe that or he or she to be. So for me, I, I just, you know, realized that watching TV growing up, I saw two different binary choices we had spiritually: atheists or imbeciles. Mm-hmm. That was all that was ever shown on TV. You either are a non-believer or you're some cretin screaming at women outside clinics. And um, once I, I really began reading the Bible as like an amateur theologian, you know, it just becomes really clear that uh, Jesus is a radically revolutionary, uh, transformative, liberal figure who hung around with leprous hookers and crooks, never spoke English, you know, says his marching orders are, you take care of the poor, you take care of the sick, individuals and nations. Mm-hmm. Um, don't execute people, pay your taxes. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. And the only commandment about immigration or borders in the entire Bible is the commandment to welcome the stranger. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just got kind of sick of seeing a bunch of right-wing people who, who vote against Jesus' actual teachings and prioritize a bunch of stuff they imagine he said. You don't have to believe in the book as literal fact to just go by what the book says. So I just try to uh, thump Bible thumpers with the Bible, because um, that's sort of therapy for me after a very confusing, (laughs) abnormally Christian childhood. Well, and it, it amazes me. The amount of people that still to you think to your, you know, that clearly have never read the book they th- claim to be an expert in coming after you and how expertly with like a surgeon with a scalpel, you just take them down. It, it really is remarkable. Oh, they, Lord, they, don't, they, they don't know enough to avoid you at this point. Well, you know, it's interesting because like after Roe v. Wade was decided, Jerry Falwell, who was a segregationist who built whites only schools who uh, supported apartheid in South Africa. I got to debate him on Bill Maher when I was very young. Jerry Falwell um, waited about, it was about four years after Roe v. Wade before Falwell ever even mentioned abortion in a speech. 
And since then, the two generations since the late 70s, um, abortion has completely taken over what Christianity is identified with in this country. And uh, that's, that's it. Abortion is the magical Hogwarts spell they use to make the followers of Jesus reject everything Jesus ever talked about in favor of this other thing that Jesus never talked about. So, you know, again, um, you can be against abortion. You can labor all your days to try to make life harder for women. You can try to have the state force pregnant rape victims, including children, that carry and bear their rapist children. You can go ahead and, and punish poor women who are pregnant with greater poverty. What you can't do is pretend that Jesus ever mentioned it. Jesus was against the death penalty, never mentioned abortion, and uh, the Bible uh, never comes out and condemns abortion either. Um, God makes it clear in the book of Exodus that a fetus is property. And if a man uh, should happen to hit a pregnant woman and kill the fetus, he pays a fine to the woman's husband. That's it. So, again, I'm not saying the Bible's pro-abortion. I'm saying that it's the greatest racket ever perpetrated on Christians, because um, it's a lot easier to worship Jesus as an anti-abortion God than to follow his inconveniently liberal teachings. You, since the last time we talked, uh, you basically have started the podcast here, which I'm glad for, because one of the things that, first of all, I I'm commend you on, I, I'm not a big fan of podcasts that are like 20 minutes long, because I don't think you can really break down an issue, especially if you have people that can really address an issue and come at it from many different angles. Uh, talk a little bit, first of all, about the approach to your podcast and, and what, what prompted you to say, oh, I'm going to add another dish to the plate, <laughs> to the table. Oh, well... Well, I was doing another. I was doing this podcast. You mentioned the Sanity Cast, uh, which was like a couple times a week, and I would do interviews. But we finally last year got SiriusXM to agree to start um, letting us have a daily podcast based on the radio show. So now that made my life a lot easier, and it allows people who don't subscribe to SiriusXM to sort of hear like a, a greatest hits version of last night's show. So we'll still have my opening rants, and we'll include interviews, and we still do tons of you know politicians and artists and actors and rappers and rock stars and celebrities and all that, all that lot. Uh, but we, uh, we you know, it, it allows me to um, finally, like, have the three-hour show every night and then the next morning have, like, a 40-minute, you know, highlights reel of the previous night's show. And um, that's been really great. I, I think that it, it's important. I, I was talking to Stephanie yesterday, actually. And, you know, she and I kind of reminisced about the fact that at one time there was this vast forest of progressive radio and there's not many trees left standing anymore. And I, I think that one of the things that's been nice, whether it's this station up here, Steph, Steph's show nationally, what you're doing with Sirius XM is that there are still these outlets and they seem to be building stronger and stronger because there is still this demand for progressive media. It just is most of the, 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 the corporate entities don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, you know, I'll believe the mainstream media is liberal when they devote as much time to uh, organized labor and climate change, you know, as they devote to partisan politics. I'll believe the mainstream lib liberal is media when uh, we're on the verge of having another war where we bomb some third world nation with oil in it, um, where they book anti-war activists instead of just retired generals. You know, I, I think the media is as liberal as the corporations that own it. And there are lots of great liberals who work in the media, but mainstream media is priority is uh, profit, eyeballs, making the shareholders happy, ratings. So, you know, with progressive media, it's it's always a challenge um, because a lot of times these big corporations that make media companies don't want to 
they don't want to hire people who will do shows where they say big corporations should pay more taxes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, you're literally fighting against the status quo, but it's a good way of determining who's really independent. And um, the fact is that this is uh, a very progressive country, um, and we are not as divided as the media tells us. The overwhelming majority of us support paid family leave. The overwhelming majority of us support Medicare covering vision, hearing, and dental the overwhelming majority of us uh, uh, support women's reproductive freedoms. It's not that controversial. And so I'm just a big fan of pointing out that not only do our commonalities outweigh our differences, but we're not as divided. I mean, what the Republicans, like 27% of the population and the rabid Trumpers are half that? Yeah. So Trump is really good for ratings. We know that. He's like ratings crack. He's like... It's hate-watching, you know? Trump doesn't realize that he gets these high numbers because a lot of people watch because they hate him. He's like True Detective Season 2 of American politics. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of feel like every liberal has a conservative in their life that they love and, and, and try to get along with. Just like every conservative has liberals in their life they pretend to tolerate. And, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not really into going after right-wing people. I'm into going after people in power and uh, mean people. Mm-hmm. Well, and you just nailed it exactly. I mean, even the when 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 conservative media was at its you know apex, when it was the top, it still was only like ten million people a day were watching it in a country of three hundred and twenty million people at that time. So it was still yeah. this incredible minority. But because nothing got ratings like you know that, and it was it was considered oh that everyone's talking about it, and it really did skew things. I mean, you talked about how the media presents things. Uh, let's let's go to the the U.S. House right now. I mean, how many times is there an idiot on on any of these newscasts, including MSNBC, out there saying, "Well, this is the fact that they can't, the Republicans can't get a speaker. It's the Democrats' fault." And you almost kind of like, how bizarre land do you have to be for this to actually make any damn sense? Yeah, the good news is that that lie has got about a shelf life of about a week. Yeah, you know, last week the big lie was, "Oh, Joe Biden gave six billion to Iran, and they used this money to fund." you know, to fund uh, the, the atrocious terrorist attack on Israel. You know, they put these lies out there. They get circulated all over the place. Um, not a penny of that $6 billion has been spent. That money is all in a bank account in Qatar. Uh, it was Donald Trump who first approved of uh, Iran's oil sale to Korea. You know, as the week goes by, the, the truth gradually comes out. And by the next week, they've moved on to a new lie. It's all disinformation. It's all telling their audience what they want to hear. It's all news for the bubble that is true. And, you know, in the bubble, Hillary Clinton was never exonerated from emails. In the bubble, Barack Obama never showed a birth certificate proving Trump was a liar. In the bubble, there were WMDs in Iraq, and we were right to go there. You know, the, the right-wing bubble exists, and the rest of us have to deal with this alternate reality these folks live in and try to impose on us. Um, so I think, you know, what we're witnessing now with the speaker's race it's embarrassing for the Republicans. Last week, it was Scalise versus Jordan, David Duke without the baggage versus the wrestler molester protector. So, you know, wow. they have to do whatever they can do and blame it on Democrats. And it wasn't Democrats. It was Republicans who had this asinine policy of the one vote can have a motion to vacate. Um, and it was the Republicans who brought the motion to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. Democrats just voted to stop bailing Kevin McCarthy out after his lies. That's all that happened. This is Republican chaos, and the fact that they can't get it together, and they've got to try to blame Democrats for the fact that they have an inability to govern. I mean, we expected them to hate Democrats and not get any business done, 
we didn't expect them to hate each other and not get any business done. Well, and this is something you see it in New York, where you're based out of, and you know we see it here in Minnesota. There, there are these Republicans now, and this is the offsuit of 2010, and they won a lot of things. They gerrymandered the living daylights out of the things. They created districts where a turnip with an R next to its name could win it. And now yeah. the result of that is, as those districts went more and more extreme, and you see a lot of Republicans flabbergasted on what they're going to do with this because you have too many of their own party who are only concerned about their next OAN or Newsmax hit, not about actually yep. helping the country. And it really does, has created this this chaos. I mean, this is this is we, we are at a point where this Republican Party is so far to the right extreme, it's kind of even hard to comprehend that 199 people yesterday voted for Jim Jordan. But the reality is. That is where we're at that, that, with that party. That party is just extreme, lunatic, right-wing fringe. I mean, but our parents were shocked that Ronald Reagan made it to the White House. Yes. You know, because he was an airhead for, who was mocked for decades. So, I mean, in many ways, it's, it's nothing new. But, um, yeah, it's what I call the Dave Brat theory, Matt. Remember Eric Cantor was the leader of the Republicans in the House, and yeah. every week he would walk up to the White House and he would meet with Barack Obama and he would just say, no to everything, right? That was Eric Cantor. No, no, no. Um, so Dave Bratt uh, ran against him and primaried him in his district. And Dave Bratt said, can you believe that Eric Cantor goes and meets with Barack Obama every week? If I'm your congressman, I'll never sit down with that person. And he presented something stupider, meaner, more racist than Eric Cantor. And the voters in his district in Virginia got rid of their own representative, who was their leader in the House. And that is a sign of the problem Republicans have. If they ever do the business of the people, if they ever work with Democrats to improve the lives of their own constituents, if they ever compromise, which is what adulthood is about, which is what politics in a free society is about, they'll get primaried. So mm. they can't do anything. And that is why America is the way it is. If they do their jobs, they lose their jobs. It's it's this what was exposed yesterday. It's this damned if you do, damned if you don't. You either vote for Jim Jordan and guarantee your, especially if you're in a say even up to a, like a plus two Republican district, you're probably not going to win re-election, or you basically go against Jim Jordan and get primaried. And and this is the mess. The Republicans should have purged this extremism back when they had the chance, but now it's they're going the way of the Whigs. It looks like at this point. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I hear that a lot, but I heard that after George W. Bush and Dick Cheney destroyed the Republican Party and destroyed the American economy. The fact is that um, the Republican Party will transmogrify and, and morph into different things, but as long as you have um, Christians believing that Christianity is about criminalizing abortion, that's their magic battery. That movement, that tribe, will always thrive on that. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I, I don't see them going away. I see them getting worse and worse. And, uh, you know, it's up to the Democrats. I mean, Democrats, it's, it's yours to blow. I think a lot of people want to see the Democrats bringing the fight to them more. I think what we've witnessed since 2017, when, you know, we were recovering from the endlessly destructive Bernie fan versus Hillary fan civil war, which was starting to define the Democratic Party, this whole screw you for only agreeing with me on 90 percent of the issues thing. Yeah. Um, you know, like I get people who don't like Hillary Clinton. I get people who don't like Bernie Sanders. But come on, guys, like like you're 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 in the same team and you're fighting overall for the same stuff. But when Nancy Pelosi was able to get it, such incredible discipline that the Democratic fractured caucus 
saved the Affordable Care Act in 2017. It wasn't John McCain who saved it. John McCain saved the Republican Party yeah. from throwing 45 million people off health care when they didn't have a replacement plan. But Nancy Pelosi got the far-left Democrats and those Texas Democrats who oppose abortion rights. It's a big tent, this party. She got them all together, and that discipline has really carried over. And Hakeem Jeffries is doing it now, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, there have been 17 votes for Speaker of the House this year, and Hakeem Jeffries has won 16 of them. <laughs> and, you know, so I think people just want to see more of that discipline, and they want to see more of that fight. They want to see more of what Sheldon Whitehouse does, you know, what John Lewis did to, to, to bring the fight to them and uh, and be inspired to get out there. And, and so, you know, and I'm not even a Democrat. You know, I'm one of those independents. Democrats have got to try to get. I, 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 I root for Democrats, and I usually vote for them. Um, but I've never belonged to the party, and I think there's lots of people like that out there, too. Uh, John Fugelsang joining us right now. Uh, you, John, as good as you are at talking about politics, one of the things I absolutely adore about following you on social media is your your takes on music. Um, you are an aficionado. You've caught a lot of great concerts. You're a big fan of U2. And then I thought about this. I know that the uh, U2's at the Sphere in Las Vegas. You haven't been able to get over there and see that show yet, though, huh? No, I haven't. I, I, I kept thinking, oh, maybe I can sneak away from Sirius XM one night and drive out to the desert to see it, but it just wasn't a, wasn't to be. I'm only in L.A. for about a week. But, you know, Matt, I, I saw the Octung Baby Tour five times yeah. when it came around the first time when, when I was much younger, and, uh, and, and they had their drummer there with them, but it looks like just an amazing uh, venue. I mean, you 2 has said that they didn't want to play Vegas, but they wanted to play the Sphere, and People have been calling my show saying that it's the, the, the greatest, it is the greatest indoor audio venue that has ever been designed by humans to hear music. So um, I'm, I'm sorry if I won't get to see this gig, but maybe I'll get lucky down the road. Well, I, when, when it was opening night and Paul McCartney and Snoop Dogg and Dre were all there, it's like, oh, a lot of artists are wanting to see what they can do with this kind of uh, venue. Well, and it, it is, Vegas is refining itself as, as that kind of place. Remember, you saw this in the Elvis movie last year about how they changed things by bringing Elvis in to, to do the shows and giving him his own crew. That's, they're, they're kind of stepping it up here. But it is something that, you know, obviously the Taylor Swift concert that was huge. Um, I, I, I know Peter Gabriel came into town in Minneapolis here and he's been doing his tour. He's doing this massive multimedia experience now. That just seems to be for the biggest stars and celebrities, even if it's Vegas or not, that multimedia, more than just the music, it's 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 an entire presentation, and and frankly, it's succeeding because they they're selling out yeah. these places even though the costs are pretty high across the board. That's what U two concerts have been like for the last thirty years, yeah. anyway. I mean, their their last tour for the uh, Songs of Experience album was just uh, amazing. Like it's at a point now where if you're at a U two show, you don't want to sit too close to the stage. You want to sit a bit farther back to be able to see the entire visual spectacle that goes on with the music. And I think it's great. I think, you know, it's, it's that's something that, I mean, David Bowie really got started. And, and having these concerts be incredible spectacles, not just a place for music, um, it's pretty great. But having said that, you know, I still love to go see Bob Dylan just come out there with a small band and just, you know, play obscure songs for two hours. I mean... You know, Duke Ellington said, if it sounds good, it is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's nice to know that even in the age of uh, digital everything and auto-tune, that good music <laughs> still carries the day. Well, and it's nice to be in a city like Minneapolis where we have First Avenue, where even today, big bands will come in and say, okay, sure, we'll just do a regular yeah. show there. That's that's a nice venue to have in town here. I just found out that Bob Dylan used to own the Pantages back in the 70s. I didn't even know. I just read this in an article in some Minneapolis uh, website last week. 
But like for a while in the 70s, Dylan owned the Pantages and helped save it. I had no idea. <laughs> well, and he, he, I just saw Girl from the North Country uh, that just played over oh, the Orpheum wow. here in town. I saw it last Saturday. And yeah, it's it just, it, it worked really well here. <laughs> it played, it, it was yeah. playing to its home audience. Let's just put it this way. I don't know if you caught that out in Broadway when it was there, but no, it, the, the, the Dylan influence after you come off that show, you, you just still can't help but just be absorbed at how the Dylan influence in this town and this, in this state, because it, even though he, most of his success was out, outside of the state, it really did resonate here as well. Yeah. Well, that Connor McPherson is a hell of a playwright. I've yeah. seen his stuff before, and I didn't get to see it on Broadway, but I do have the soundtrack album, and it's just ethereally beautiful. It's great. Uh, of course, we the main thing we should, we've got to make sure we mention is the uh, Sexy Liberal show. Uh, this is uh, oh com- yeah. This is this is <laughs> we need to make sure this sexyliberal.com. This is on Saturday night. You are back out in Los Angeles with Steph and the whole crew, right? It's very exciting. It's the only date we're doing the whole year. You know, I, I, I yell at Stephanie. I'm like, we should do this tour all the time, every weekend. Let's go to a different, let's go to red states. But we haven't done any this year. It's been a bit of a crazy year anyway. And um, we haven't actually done a real tour since before the pandemic. So I'm really excited because next year we will be on the road a lot. But this weekend is our one day of the year. It is going to be in L.A. And it will be live streamed. So you can catch the pay-per-view if you go to sexyliberal.com. Or go to meethook.com uh, slash live. That's M-E-E-T. Please, Matt, don't let your listeners go to M-E-A-T. Hook.com. You, you, you are nice people. It's no place for you. Don't go there. Go to meethook.com. And it's going to be Stephanie and Hal and uh, Frangela, who were on my show two nights ago. Um, uh, they're just amazing. And our special guest this year, oh, Matt, we, got, we have the Alpha Liberal Show. This is the Alpha Show. This is uh, it was going to be Rob Reiner, uh, Glenn Kirshner. Malcolm Dance and making his first appearance at one of these, uh, the legend himself, one of the greatest character actors we've ever had, uh, Hellboy himself, Ron Perlman, who I wanted to get on the show because he's been such a hero here in L.A. during the actor's strike and has been so fearless and ferocious. Uh, going after the studios. So it's going to be a real great thrill to be on stage with all these heavy hitters and to play to a packed house and to, you know, I, I know it's not the best month we've ever had for topical humor, but I kind of feel like when the world is on fire and things are just uh, so full of dread and and peril and sorrow, that that is when sometimes we need to get together and laugh really hard as a way of uh, imposing our own will on the universe and uh, creating our own intense joy to balance out all the intense anguish that's going on. And I would make an argument that there is no better time. I mean, absolutely. It's been a tough month, but thank God you guys are doing this because we all need a laugh. And so I, I, once again, cannot recommend enough. Get the pay-per-view pass, watch the Sexy Liberal show Saturday night, uh, sexyliberal.com for that. Fugel sang once again, you'll find him tell me everything on Sirius XM. That's Insight 121, right? Yes, sir. And then, of course, the pod. No, 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 I'm so sorry. No, we're now on. We're now on Progress 127. Progress. Uh, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse right before the pandemic, and we moved our show to nights on the Progress Channel. Pete Townsend was our first guest, actually, and uh, so that that's that's been what I've done. I've been working nights during the pandemic and post pandemic, and um, that's been pretty crazy. I, I've never done stand up. I mean, I've never done you know a nightly radio show, but it's been really, really fun. It's helped us get some really great guests and. Uh, so, um, and then I get to take the night off and, you know, do some stand-up. Let's just be honest. Trying to get a musician to do a morning show is next to impossible. <laughs> they do not <laughs> like doing morning shows. 
Yeah, well, we didn't we didn't get them live. We we, we pre-taped it either way. But it's been nice. Like a, a lot of our guests from the the previous show. I mean, Robbie Robertson has done our show many times. God bless him. And uh, and you know we've been able to get terrific artists to do this. I'm, uh, Joan Bias is going to do our show next week. But yeah, when it's the late night show, we're on nine to midnight in the East Coast. Six to nine on the West Coast. Uh, for that, generally, I have to do a lot of pre-tape interviews in the afternoon for the, the big rock stars. All right, so that's Progress 127 on Sirius XM, the John Fugelsang podcast, available wherever you get your podcast. correct? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, John, as always, an absolute treat. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the time today. Matt, thanks for all you do. You bring such great progressive uh, talk and opinions and takes uh, to the, the your listeners, and honestly, I've just uh, admired what you do for so long, and you do it really well. It's really a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. John Fugel saying, everyone, let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.